0: I wanted to become a person who wrote songs, and I wanted to be someone whose life was in music.
1: I'm Paul Muldoon. I'm a poet, a lover of the lyric poem and the song lyric. And over the past several years, I've been fortunate to spend time with one of the greatest songwriters of our era.
0: And will you look at me? It's happened. I'm going on tour. I'm actually a performer. Am I actually a songwriter? My God. Well, that that crept up on me.
1: That is Sir Paul McCartney. Together we worked on The Lyrics, 1956 to the Present, which looked at more than 150 tracks from McCartney's songbook. To lead a
0: better life You can't really talk about music because... It's music. It's, it's purposely not talking. It's playing, it sounds, you know. So it's quite nice, it's quite liberating. Things slip out like they would in a session with a psychiatrist.
1: It took us a long time to go through the songs we included in the book, and we recorded many hours of conversations drawing out details from McCartney's memory and hidden meanings from the music
0: Well, woke this morning my head was in it was like going back to an old snapshot album looking back on work i hadn't thought much about for quite a few years
1: for most of the conversations, we were sitting across from each other, looking at printouts of the lyrics. Back
0: behind the shelter in the middle of the roundabout, Pretty selling from a tray. Funnily enough, a lot of Americans thought she was selling puppies. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? So well, they, I see. Puppies. Mm-hmm. Which is another interesting image, a tray full of puppies. I know she's mm-hmm. selling poppies. I know she feels as if she's in a play, she is anyway. That's very sort of 60s. she feels if she's in a play.
1: She is anyway. We never thought anyone would hear these tapes, most of which were captured on small recording devices, placed on the table in front of us, or occasionally we recorded over video chat. You might hear the clinking of teacups, doorbell chimes, or us chatting over lunch. We were just logging the stories, preparing for the book and getting to know one another.
2: This week's
3: Monday with Fab. I'm Ed Chen. And I'm Lonnie Pena.
2: Lonnie's getting close. We're going to be
3: in Mexico City before too, too long. Oh, I know. I'm counting the days down, marking the calendar.
2: Looking forward to it for sure. Paul has started his Australian tour, uh, and Mexico City is next.
3: Yeah, I've been trying to keep track of whatever is uploaded to YouTube, but it seems like they're deleting stuff because... After a couple of days, it's gone. And
0: this next one is definitely not a new one. Before you know it. right,
2: This tour the one edition seems to be she's a woman which as many times as i've seen mccartney that's one that i have never seen him do live He, he did it live in the unplugged days and then he did it live on the european tour of 2004 okay he never played it here in the states
3: It's been a while.
2: (laughs) Again, it's still not going to be here in the States. Maybe next year, fingers (laughs) crossed, we'll see him again. But the surprises all seem to be coming in soundcheck. He's doing Women and Wives again. He's done Coming Up in soundcheck. He's doing Find My Way in soundcheck.
3: All right. Well, it sounds like he's having fun. And he did Miss Anne. Yeah, it wasn't uh, San Ferrian.
2: Was no, not San Ferrian. No. Okay, not uh, Lottie, 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 Miss Claudie, which he's also done in Soundcheck. Cool. He's enjoying himself, so that's great. We're looking forward to that. Paul was also on the song "Bite My Head Off" on the new Rolling Stones album "Hackney Diamonds," which just came out.
3: Yeah, listen to that yesterday on stream on Spotify. That's a rocking song.
2: a little bit harder rocking than Paul's been lately. It's good to hear he can still do it.
3: Yeah. And also, also it's a little harder rock for uh, the Stones.
2: Oh, for sure. (laughs) This is much more in line with Sympathy for the Devil Stones. Yeah. They've been more in the blues mode in their original. Well, I mean, again, it's been, what, 15 years since uh, the last Stones album?
3: Yeah, that's been a long, long time. But yeah, mostly it's like bluesy type, the late 70s, early 80s. Paul's playing there. It's a rocking song.
2: Paul's playing a fuzz bass, yeah. Fuzz bass. What kind of bass is it? It is a 64 Hofner. but what happened was Paul showed up in the studio for the song, and the producer handed him this 64 Hofner bass, and Paul said, well, you know, great. Well, thank you, but I already have one of these. It's like, <laughs> put that little extra switch there, Paul. Paul Sweet. flipped it started playing it so he had built
3: in a fuzz effect into the 64 Hofner. see paul looked at it and probably uh said yeah i'll I only have a dozen of these well <laughs> what, what do i need this for so
2: so he liked it so much they said okay use it on the song
3: they gave it to him they gave
2: it to him yeah no,
3: it's- sweet and it has uh the turbo Booster. <laughs> fuzz. Yeah,
2: exactly. So <laughs> it would be kind of cool if he bought that out on tour with him. I don't know
3: if he's got it on the road with him or not. Oh, I wonder if I could retro my Epiphone Hoffner copy and do a uh, fuzz. Find out Ooh. how they did it, you know? Yeah, probably could. Have a little fuzz. I might throw in a little chorus echo. it sounds
2: really really good and like
3: you say it's hard rocking it's not metal or anything but it is a hard rocking tune it's a good rocker that's all we can say listen to it it's on streaming the stones are going to have another
2: album out sometime in the next couple of years and paul has already recorded a contribution for
3: that as well oh wow okay well it's good to see that collaboration between the uh the old friends
2: Well, I mean, that's the first time they played together, and and you got to love Mick giving that little shout-out to him. Sweet. Good news. We still got a little bit on the Ringo EP. We talked about Rewind Forward way back when it was first released. I haven't heard your thoughts on the McCartney track. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, Feeling the Sunlight. Feeling the Sunlight. There you go. Yeah, when I first saw the—before I heard it, you know, I saw the title, and I'm thinking, hey, it sounds like maybe something from Firemen. Album.
2: Kind of? And it is actually a little yeah, bit
3: like that. A little bit. I like it. You know, it's an upbeat song. It's a happy song. It's uh, There's even a little throw-in of peace and love in there. I guess it's Paul and Ringo ch- chanting peace and love. Peace and
2: love! Oh, well, the story is that Paul and Ringo apparently FaceTime each other every other week nowadays. <laughs> That's sweet. One of these times, Ringo was like, well, I got this new EP coming out can you contribute something? So Paul said, sure. He went into his studio. He recorded the entire demo and then sent that over to Ringo. But he put the drums on (laughs) (laughs) it. So it was a full demo. Paul did a vocal and Paul did drums on this demo. Yeah. And that's something I want to hear,
3: actually. I'm sure Ringo just replaced those drum tracks.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what Ringo said. It's like, wait a minute, that's my job.
3: That's my job.
2: He redid the drums and then he redid the vocal. I would guess Paul did both the lead and the backing on his demo that he sent to Ringo and Ringo just kept the backing. It's one of the
3: highlights of that EP.
2: And this is a really good EP. This is maybe uh, yeah. my
3: favorite of the EP era so far. That's my second favorite, It's feeling the sunlight, but I like shadows on the wall. It has a really cool guitar riff throughout the song. It's pretty it, cool. It's
2: slightly darker and it's, yeah. it's one where Ringo is actually not quite doing so much peace and love. It's slightly <laughs> different lyrics. It's something we've kind of been asking him for. I can
0: hear a word they say, somewhere that I know down on the road where the
3: roses grow so tall. I am low, they come and go like shadows on the wall. I haven't bought the actual. EP yet. I know it's available, obviously. The vinyl's out. What am I waiting for? Waiting for a Christmas time, right? <laughs> <laughs> It's like 10 or 11 bucks on Amazon, which yeah. is a
2: lot cheaper than what I paid for it because I bought it off of Ringo's site, but that's
3: okay. <laughs> that's all right. It was
2: like 20 bucks for the CD on Ringo's site. Yeah, I like it. It's a good tune. It's maybe the best of the current set of eps although i am really really looking forward to the country ep which they
3: say they just finished up i would imagine that would be out you know what do you think late Uh, spring they've got one more which is coming out next year sometime okay once again he went into the studio and did three eps well hopefully we'll see it sooner than later but i guess they have to pace themselves right to release the songs in some kind of order And not compete with the Beatles.
2: What's been going around on Facebook is that Pixar had something to do with the delight. No, Pixar and Disney have nothing to do with the release of Now and Then or the re-release of Red and Blue. And the image that you see is just somebody's attempt at generating a Pixar Beatles from AI.
3: So there's absolutely no truth in Disney, Pixar, and a Beatles collaboration?
2: Apparently there were some discussions I've heard, but nothing is happening anytime soon.
3: I saw the graphics, you know, and I'm thinking, what? What is this?
2: What it is, is someone went into one of those AI image generators and said, hey, (laughs) what would a pixarized version of the Beatles look like? Generate a movie poster for me. That's where that image came from. And didn't they kind of screw up some of the details? (laughs) The Pixar George is left-handed, so, you know. Oh, Oh, okay.
3: Alternate universe.
2: (laughs) He may be, right? What they're saying is they wanted to get past the Stone's release. There was some issue with the physical discs And apparently what they're saying now is that the order of the songs on the CDs will not match the order of the songs on the LPs.
3: That's kind of unusual.
2: That is what the rumor currently is on the delay and why they didn't announce it back in August and why it didn't come out in September. Okay. It will be out this year and it will be out as a Christmas release, which is a lot quicker than they normally do, but they don't need to do a huge amount of promotion on either of these things.
3: No, I wouldn't think so. And who they're promoting to are those of us who are already (laughs) in tune to buy it.
2: (laughs) Once it gets out, then there'll be news stories and everybody, ooh, the Stones just had a new release and now there's a new Beatles release and
3: so on and so forth. Crazy. Did you get a Facebook thing of those sponsor uh, sales of a MLB collaboration with the Stones?
2: We thought there were a lot of versions of McCartney 3, the new (laughs) album... From the Stones, 30 versions of it, one for each MLB stadium.
3: And so that is true. That's not a scam, is it?
2: That is legitimate. Wow. They are doing limited
3: edition vinyls, one for each Major League Baseball stadium. The graphics really don't look all that appealing. No, they don't. You know, it's not like like for the Astros or whoever, the Dodgers, the Cubs. It's not really a a defining graphic for the teams.
2: I think there's like a cap on a lot of the images, and and some of them
3: just use the team logos on the tongue and maybe the colors, the team colors. But that's it's real somewhat passive. (laughs) It's like yeah, you can use them. You can use the the MLB team name, but. Be careful with the logo and go light on the logo.
2: I agree with you. This is a somewhat more cynical release. The McCartney colored releases at least had some value to collectors.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: These, eh, it is strictly a
3: got to get them all kind of thing. <laughs> well, I pity the uh, Stones <laughs> fans. I got to have all 30 whatever.
2: So you're not buying the cassette for this EP, for this Ringo EP? We'll see. We'll tell Marv that you have not bought the cassette yet. Cause no. I, I was betting you would. I would buy the real to real when
3: that comes out. <laughs>
2: and as you mentioned, you just got pepperon realtor
3: yeah i got really really lucky and it hit my email the notice that someone had just uploaded to ebay one uh some store in minnesota and it was a buy it now at a very reasonable price like i've never seen it before that low it was under 300 (laughs) yeah very very cool and i got it and it's nice i played it through i'm loving it
2: And the, the tape is still in good condition, no breaks, and it doesn't look too fragile.
3: Not at all. And no oxide loss, because that's the other thing you get on those old reel to reels. Oh, you do. I know. I have uh, the white album, and I was really disappointed because it was a couple of uh, splices in the middle. You know, of playing the reel and completely ruined the whole reel for me.
2: Yeah, it's a collectible uh, rather than something you would ever yeah, actually want to play. Yeah. But. but
3: this Sgt. Pepper is—it's nice. It's very, really very cool. Me very happy. Cool. Me happy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. So our topic this week, I guess it was about three months ago, we first heard that uh, Pushkin and iHeart Media were going to be putting out the Paul McCartney Life and Lyrics podcast.
3: And when I first heard podcast, I had a vision of something else, not those recorded interviews that he did for the book. But that's what it is, basically, right? It's Joe's recordings.
2: And they told us that when they announced yeah. the podcast. Like I said, that was like three months ago. So that was like late summer.
3: Yeah. So they compiled all the interviews and they've split them up. And there's massive amounts of commercials and these things.
2: <laughs> if you pay $7, you will get access to the whole
3: lot ad free. You know what? I, that may be worth it, <laughs> definitely. McCartney,
1: A Life in Lyrics, is a co-production between iHeartMedia, NPL, and Pushkin Industries.
3: A ton of commercials. I mean it's like they're 30-minute little podcasts. Twenty-five minutes roughly.
2: Twenty-five. The yeah. intro is roughly a minute and a half out of every episode. The closing is about a minute out of every episode. So so there's maybe sixteen to twenty minutes of content. And each episode runs 25 to 30 minutes. So it's as much as a third advertising push is yeah. trying to, <laughs> to get themselves going. And, you know, I, yeah. I certainly
3: understand that. And, well, that's why I say pay for it. You can fast forward through it. At least I know on Spotify, you can fast forward through the commercials. Of course, I wouldn't recommend it if you're driving.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you can subscribe for a month for six bucks and either binge them or if you know how you can download them and listen to them that way that was how i accessed the set and from where we're at there are still going to be you know seven or eight episodes coming weekly on itunes or spotify or wherever you are listening to them you can get access to the whole first season now and they've already announced that there is going to be a second season so there will be 12
3: more shows coming early next year well you have a whole book of recordings. You have a a lot of recordings that went into that book, hours and hours and hours. So, cool. That's nice to at least hear, McCartney, because a lot of it's in the books, you know?
2: Uh, Well, I mean, it is and it isn't. The base material, it has been collated and rewritten in the books. But as you say, it's really nice to hear Paul actually talking about these songs and
3: what they use to generate the text that's in the book. Yeah, and they do piece it together with audio, whatever the circumstances for the song.
2: We're going to go through the first four. What I will say is that the. Linking material is good the first time, and maybe the second by the third time you're listening to it. I I just go straight to the Paul quotes. There you go. (laughs) The first time is is really cool, and it it is genuinely a podcast. It's not that much different than what we're doing here, actually. You know, there's little snippets of songs, there's the clips off of the tape, and then there's Paul Muldoon doing explanatory material, and and they usually will pull some. Historical things, as we will discover as we go through these first four. It's good. The first two were made available on the first week, and I believe we're up to like week five. If you are following along on iTunes, and but as I say, if you subscribe, you do get the full batch of them.
3: yeah. And that first week was the first week in uh, October, right? October fourth. Yeah. Yeah. I correct. Believe. Cool. So the first week, the first song is should be eleanor rigby i will never watch the movie birds the same again (laughs) (laughs) as mentioned you get an intro of about
2: a minute and a half which is basically just an edited version of of that little trailer we got there's some nice little bits from paul there where paul Muldoon is explaining the concept of the show paul mccartney goes off oh well i wanted
0: to become a person who wrote songs and Wanted to be someone whose life was in music. And will you look at me? It's happened. I'm going on tour. I'm actually a performer.
2: I like Paul <laughs> doing that. And, and he, yeah. he sounds like he's just having a blast.
3: It really does. And finally it dawned on him. He is a performer. <laughs> it's realization. It's the ultimate self-realization.
2: And then Paul goes, <laughs> well, you know, that just kind of crept up on me.
3: <laughs> oh, I would have loved to have video of this.
2: Some of this was done in person, and in those instances, there's no video. But I wonder if they actually taped the Zoom.
3: I'm sure.
2: You know, if they Why recorded they? the video yeah. on the Zoom, then those clips may well exist in video.
3: Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I would. I would love to to see some video. Doesn't have to be every one a, a episode, but just little video clips.
0: I feel okay about admitting to the fact that yeah i want it to look a bit bookish i wanted to smoke a pipe on the top deck of a bus
2: each show ends up being a bit less than 20 minutes of which half of which is paul talking so out of this whole 24 episodes we may get three hours of paul talking across the whole 24 episodes and it's probably not even going to be that much they have edited this very
3: tightly they
2: they have taken (laughs) lessons from me i think
3: (laughs) there was a whole lot of editing going on but you do it much better, Ed.
2: <laughs> well, they should hire me then and let
3: <laughs> and me <you're... laughs> go through the tapes and pick what goes into the shows. And you you certainly have the experience. Seven years of...
2: <laughs> We're coming up on ten before too too long. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Paul Modun does the introduction. Then we go into episode one. The first couple of episodes are very much them kind of learning how they want to do this. The last four or five are actually much better from my point of view they, yeah. they start including like outtakes and you know we'll, we'll do that as we actually get to them on the free version we'll we'll do two more shows on season one you know we'll i think we're going to stick to this four episodes to okay. one review show for us so we'll do two more on this as we get to them but having heard the whole series it gets a lot better the the first three or four although really the fourth is uh, quite a bit better than the first three, to my
3: point of view. Okay. Well, I, I'm, I'm only on the first four, so I'm taking notes.
2: Muldoon and McCartney are talking. They, I like what Paul says at the top, that he wanted to be not only a poet, but he enjoyed being bookish. That he, he wanted to be the sort of fellow to, to smoke a pipe on the top of a bus. Right, We've heard that right, about Paul, right. Paul McCartney before, but he's, I like to hear him say
3: it. He also got a confirmation was I don't know if that's the right word from his peers. You're talking about Ginsburg and what Ginsburg said. He was really p- pleased with what did he say about the lyrics about. So know?
2: apparently, Paul yeah. had gone to Ginsburg and maybe not song lyrics, but some of his poetry. Right. He'd gone to Ginsburg yeah. and kind of asked them to give it the once over and and Ginsburg had made some changes and made some suggestions. But then Paul went and gave him the lyrics to Eleanor Rigby and he turned around and said, well, that's a great
3: poem. No changes needed.
2: As Paul likes to say, he was dead chuffed, although that's not what he actually says here. Right, right, right. But that's the phrase that he likes to use. (laughs) And he uses it well. Paul Muldoon tells us that Paul McCartney would constantly go back to Eleanor Rigby, that this was kind of a reference point for him Mm. and his songwriting.
3: They go into some detail about the mentality and the upbringing that Paul had, the inspiration he had from his father correlating to some aspect of this song with the older folks in the song.
2: We've heard Paul talk a little bit about how he used to like to go around to It wouldn't have been all folks' homes then, but it would have been just the elderly people in the neighborhood. And when he was a member of the Scouts
3: in England, they had something they called Bob a Job Week. They were very courteous and very polite and very genuinely. So Paul got to know
2: these elderly people and they would come up again and like English tea. He would tell us that that's the kind of person that he would imagine when he was writing that song. Right So out of that came this image of a little old lady Who's that little old man, who's that little old lady <laughs> That's a reoccurring thing <laughs> And one thing that I hadn't heard before He talks about his um, mom, uh, Mary And then he talks about him sort of envisioning the woman that he would marry uh, himself And how he always saw the, the curlers and the. My mom's favorite was Nivea And yes. I, l- I love
0: it to this day
1: Yes, beautiful packaging yeah. never.
0: It kind of scared me a little that women used quite so much cold cream. Hmm.
1: The unguents, as they call oh, them, you like know, this kind like, of greasy a, stuff yeah. that they put on.
0: Uh, it was my dread Yeah, when I got older and got married that yeah. I would marry someone who would say, Oh, I love, and would put one of these big shower caps on, under yes. curlers, and have masses of things. and. and I really, so that played on
2: my
3: mind quite a bit. I guess that wasn't too favorable to some degree. (laughs) It's a great story. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. That's definitely some good insight.
2: That's the kind of thing we (laughs) get here that we kind of haven't gotten in anywhere else, and it isn't even really in the book. Then it kind of goes into some things that we have heard before. Uh, Eleanor came from Eleanor Braun. Paul Bodun makes the claim that John Lennon dated Eleanor Braun. Yeah,
1: I heard that. Eleanor Braun a star at the time, who had briefly dated John Lennon.
2: Uh, John Lennon was married? I think that's just something that some writer, (laughs) possibly Muldoon, put in there.
3: I've noticed in this podcast, there's some things that were incorrect.
2: Paul talks about, oh, well, it turns out that there is actually a gravestone with Eleanor Rigby on it in Walton Parish Church, which we all knew, and it didn't actively play a role in naming the character in the song, but the... You know, he he's certainly willing to accept that he might have seen it and the name might have stuck in his brain, which is probably what actually happened.
3: Right. He said they passed through there quite frequently. So, you know, unconsciously he selected that name.
2: So Eleanor came from Eleanor Braun and then Rigby's came from a shop in Bristol when Paul was visiting Jane Asher, who was working in a play at the time.
3: Was that another thing that was
2: unconscious? He admits that he saw the name Rigby on a sign in Bristol. And what he thinks is unconscious is that that may have snapped between the two. It's like, oh, Rigby. Yeah, Eleanor. Eleanor. Okay, these two go together. And that may have just been because, okay, yeah, I'd seen that many, many years ago in, in the graveyard there
3: okay well that makes sense
2: that leads into another kind of familiar story but it's good to hear Paul tell it about how his dad would teach them about harmony and how he and Mike would start to go off and they played together and they did Bye Bye Love back in the early days
3: that's a neat story
2: I I like what he says there I once performed at a talent competition with my brother Mike when I was 11
0: and we sang Bye Bye Love didn't win Obviously not talented enough for the Butlins crowd.
3: We'll hear that tape soon, I'm sure. Someone recorded it. It'll it'll pop up.
2: (laughs) Well, the (laughs) way things are going, someone at Butlins had a tape recorder, and there it is.
3: It, it just there, showed there's up. There's the
2: McCartney brothers. and It was on a so.
3: three-inch reel, you know. <laughs> and, and then so. uh, we'll AI it. And <laughs> we'll, add, we'll add Lennon to it, right?
2: <laughs> we can pull John off and give the Get Back
3: tapes. And they said now and then's the last recording. I don't there think you go.
2: so. <laughs> so, which leads to Paul talking a bit more about learning to play the piano and how his dad insisted that he go off and have proper lessons, but he just didn't care to do that he took one lesson his words in the show are i've got homework from school i don't need your homework
3: (laughs) that was enough that did it in for him no more lessons (laughs) if it's homework involved
2: at least for a little (laughs) while once the beatles made it big he kind of decided well okay i got to go and actually try and learn a little bit more and he actually went to the guild hall and said can you teach me the proper way to play piano And they started where you start, you know, with the five finger exercises. And okay, that's enough.
3: I don't need that. That was it. Starting to read the notes. Forget it. What is it? Every good boy does fine.
2: Yeah, exactly.
3: (laughs) That was pretty much my story as well. I took one guitar lesson, Ed, and that was in 73. (laughs) And no more. (laughs) I just wanted to learn the song. I didn't care about the notes.
2: He also explains, you know, we've seen him teaching people how to play the piano a couple times. We we saw it in McCartney 3, 2, 1. We saw it in Get Back. You put your fingers here, you move them over one, you move them over one again, and you get these chords.
3: Yeah, it, it's not teaching music, it's visual training. This is the structure, this is the display. Go for it.
2: And so what Paul says is that
0: you get C, D minor, E minor, F, G, A minor, right there. That's like most of the Beatles songs. Right. That's more than
3: you need to know. And then get a George Martin to add a little bit of extra. What more do you need?
2: We go into the Eleanor Rigby story a little bit, a little bit about Bernard Herrmann. He makes some
3: really interesting and really unique observations about Bach, actually. We all know from the history books that Bach he was an innovator at the time in his music. He was hard rock back then <laughs> for classical music, right? <laughs>
2: Yeah, you got to love what Paul says. I'd suddenly grasped that it was all mathematics. It was forming a sort of pyramid. I love this 2, 4, 8, 16 thing. It's like, oh, wow. You you don't think of McCartney as writing in a mathematical fashion. We like to think of it as all art, but he gets the basics behind it as well.
3: Very interesting tidbit about that. Did not know it.
2: Then it kind of ends with the... Father McCartney story. It started as Father McCartney, but he didn't want it to be that personal. We've heard that story, that, that it was him and John and Pete Shotton and George and Ringo and Mal and Neil, and they were just all sitting around, and they went through the names in the phone book. and
3: Let his fingers do the walking.
2: He doesn't go into that story here. Then the last thing on this show, he and Paul Muldoon go through a couple of links linking together the psycho, the film story, you know, the old woman and the mother in Psycho. And it's like, well, maybe that's a slight stretch, but I can yeah. actually kind of see it. And
3: and Paul agrees. He got some of the music that's playing. I think it's also in the same key <laughs> with that striking E minor. And then a great line
2: from the Eastmans from Linda's dad. Linda's dad used to say his left ball twitched. <laughs> anybody... There's a physical
0: response. Yeah. I look at all
2: the people. That's show one. Show two is back in the USSR.
3: There's some history there. Do the kids know what that is? USSR?
2: <laughs> Muldoon seems to want to call it the joke of an era. That
3: may be overstating yeah. these just a bit much. Getting a little dramatic there, I guess.
2: They have some period news pieces, and then into Paul where he talks about the fact that the obvious first inspiration
3: was Chuck Berry's Back in the U.S. Yeah, that was a good rock and roller some years before, but obviously something that Paul and John had listened to as teenagers.
2: Well, obviously they were still listening to it as the next year John Lennon would rip off Chuck Berry. Flat top. Yep. <laughs> and so Paul talks about how, you know, we were just kind of getting to the point. It was a little bit
0: too pro-US because we were in the UK. Um, so I could poke fun at it in my own way. And when I saw that US SR was kind of similar, then I realized I could sitting back in the US. I could do a little parody on Chuck's idea of being back. And I would have a Russian guy who'd come from America and was glad to be back in Russia. And he'd come, he'd come from Miami on BOAC British Overseas Airways Corporation. BOAC's outstanding contribution to the second generation of jet airliners.
3: You know, again, you have to be, I guess, in that time period and, I was a young boy at the time. I wouldn't have gotten it because with the politics at that time, you know, I just probably wouldn't have understood what this all meant. But I'm sure some of the adults ha- may have had some issues with this song because it, it. We were in the Cold War.
2: There is that book from the infamous Reverend David A. Noble. Communism, hypnotism, and the Beatles.
3: Oh yeah, I forgot about that.
2: Fresh off of the Bigger Than Jesus controversy, wanted something else. We go into a little bit about BOAC, British Overseas Airways Corporation. They play a vintage commercial, and that's kind of cool.
3: That was the old airlines. TWA, BOAC, they're all gone now. Pan Am.
2: (laughs) So Paul will tell us that the Harmonies were influenced by the Beach Boys well.
3: Obviously. We knew that, yeah. But.
2: <laughs> that this is kind of his version of California girls really knocked me out.
0: I think I was very lucky. As I say, when I hit this little humorous vein, it, it seemed to just sort of flow. So I, I know what I'm doing now. I mean, it's in the middle. So now I'm going to go into detail about the countries and the territories. So we got Ukraine and we've got Moscow and we got Georgia well if i say georgia i think of the old american song georgia on my mind which i would be thinking of the ray charles georgia on my mind georgia georgia
2: the whole That is one of the more clever things on there, actually. Yeah, Muldoon explains things a little bit, talks to the kids, and Paul says, well, I'm still finding amazing things in these lyrics. One of them is how ancient all these ideas are now. No Uh. (laughs) more USSR, no more BOAC.
3: I don't think the kids get it. You know, it's about the music. That's kind of what he goes back to. You don't have to get it now. That's the name of the song, Back in the USSR. I don't know what that is, but it's a great song.
2: <laughs> well, and, and if you like it, maybe you'll go and look up and try and find out what all
3: these different things mean. A clever way to educate young folks, or attempt to.
2: That's what Billy Joel tried to do with We Didn't Start the Fire, <laughs> isn't it?
3: Right. Again,
2: we've kind of swung things back. Things went one way, then Russia opened up a little bit. Now it seems to have kind of... Gone back the other way.
3: History never repeats. I don't know. It it
2: rhymes, but it doesn't (laughs) repeat. Paul talks about what it seemed like to those in the West. You know, it was always grey.
0: So, I mean, when I'm writing this song, it's very much tongue-in-cheek. I'm not really thinking there's anything for this guy to go back to. I mean, I remember when we first went to Berlin and sort of looked over the wall. To me, I just knew there was like a a vast gray expanse
2: that was beyond this wall and that we were all in technicolor.
3: That is so true for that time period.
2: And he talks a little bit about the story that we heard from the Beatles in Russia documentary. The first time we ever heard about the bone records that
3: people used to make. (laughs) That's crazy.
2: That The only way they could make records, they could make flexi discs. They could take imprints and put them on old x-ray film and that's the only way they could keep the officials from knowing what they were doing do you have any of those i don't i've (laughs) got some of the early official releases
3: yes i have a couple of them the official releases but not the x-ray film ones see someone's (laughs) x-rays it's a cracked skull that's right Third track down.
2: (laughs) It ends with a little bit of discussion about Paul went and played Red Square and met Putin. And well, now things have changed yet again.
3: Oh, yeah. It all comes around.
2: And then, of course, the postscript to that is Paul is dropped back in the USSR from his concert set list as kind of his own little protest okay on to episode three let it be this one starts a little bit differently it starts with an intro where they're talking about the end of touring and we got a little bit of the live rock and roll music i didn't listen to see which one it is but it may be germany But it's interesting that they have a little intro before they kind of go into their story here.
3: Yeah, well, they wanted to, I guess, establish a baseline for the mental anxiety that was happening with touring and yeah, other, I mean, other things that were to come in 1968.
2: So what Paul says is we were getting a little fed up with it. Even Ringo expressed his
3: pleasure. I got the impression he was the last one to get fed up with it.
2: Paul was the last one. Paul, again, it's probably not quite as straightforward as he puts it here, but Paul likes to say that Candlestick Park was kind of it. I generally just sort of soldiered on. But after this Candlestick
0: Park, I just finally said, oh, my God, this is like just so bad. I agree with all you guys. We should just give up touring.
2: We know that before they even went to Candlestick Park, they had absolutely refused the 67 tour. And they were certain that this was going to be the last live show for at least a while.
3: Right. There was a lot of chaos going on in 66. Manila and all that other stuff.
2: And we will... Mentioned here just ever so briefly, Ken Womack's book is coming out. We are going to have Ken Womack on in a few weeks. And amongst the marvelous things in the book that we're going to find out about is just what went on in Manila in that 66 tour.
3: Boy, it's going to be interesting. Very interesting.
2: This is the first time we actually hear Paul curse in this podcast series, which I like, you know. It's unedited, folks. Well, it it is edited. (laughs) Not censored. I think, yeah, it's uncensored. And I think the clips are continuous. You know, I think when they play a clip, we're getting complete sentences from Paul. They're not mashing together sentences. I like that. It shows how kind of at ease Paul is when he's doing these discussions. It's not really an interview. He's talking to Paul Modun about what about this and what about that and get the F off. And, you know, and in some of the later
3: episodes, we actually hear – Paul discussing these things while he's having his lunch. These recordings were, I don't think, initially meant to be podcast, right? Or broadcast.
2: No, 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 not at all.
3: So he was pretty relaxed, you know? The
2: idea was, we're doing this lyrics book. We want to tell Paul McCartney stories about the lyrics to
3: all of these songs. And then, you know, I guess at some point, they said, well, this is a lot of good audio. We can make it into what it is.
2: I still want them to kind of put the whole archive up on Uh somewhere. I mean, most people won't want to listen to it,
3: but you and I would. Yeah. And of course, and again, it gets back to the fact that he's really relaxed. And he's saying the words, you know, the curse words and whatnot, because he probably doesn't think this will ever be out.
2: He also approved it. MPL is one of the producers of this show.
3: Uh, Obviously, he approved it. But I'm saying initially when he was talking.
2: It was conversations in person with the tape recorder running. And then during the COVID era, it was a bunch of Zoom conversations. They would get together once a month and
3: talk for two or three
2: hours at a time.
3: Yeah. So this is the first Fayou. In the series
2: Discussions of the kind of beginnings of the breakup of the Beatles Certainly the end of touring leads to Paul saying that I'd just been doing too much of
3: everything That's kind of a deep, deep statement there Yeah, what does he mean? Like he is keeping the Beatles together He is recording, he's producing And drugs Yeah These substances, you know and, And then the whole Apple thing Yeah, a lot going on there And then, of course, when Epstein passed away.
2: That was kind of the predecessor of this whole thing. Right. Paul Modun gives us his background. Lennon and McCartney's friendship was becoming increasingly strained. The Beatles were barreling toward their eventual breakup. Now Paul says some things which he doesn't usually say. It was a period of change
0: because John and Yoko had got together, and that was bound to have an effect on the dynamics of the group. So things like Yoko being in the, in the middle, literally in the middle of the recording session, was, you know, something you had to deal with. And the, the idea was that if John wanted this to happen, then it should happen. And there's no reason why not. Well, except that there is a reason why not. You know, you're there to do some work. We're, yeah. And... Uh... Anything that disturbs us is disturbing. Out of deference to John, we would allow this and not make a fuss. And yet at the same time, I don't think any of us particularly liked it. It was an interference in the workplace. Right. We had a way we worked. The four of us worked with George Martin, and an engineer. And that was basically it. And we'd always done it like that. So, not being very confrontational, I think we just bottled it up and just got on with it.
2: Paul is usually a little bit more diplomatic when he explains this. It's good to hear his actual feelings. And he's not saying that Yoko broke up the Beatles. He's saying that her being
3: there necessitated change. Well, certainly. Again, when he was talking about this, he was relaxed. Initially, he wasn't thinking anyone would hear this, but he kept it in the podcast, obviously. But that's how he feels, you know? And it's like you said, it's not... Really talking bad about Yoko, it's it's basically saying we have to deal with this. This is reality. We're dealing with this because we know that this is what John wants.
2: And if we say no, John's going to walk out. Right. I find Muldoon's questions following that a little bit leading in answer to what Muldoon is asking about. He's kind of asking Paul to say, did Yoko break up the Beatles? And Paul then goes a little bit diplomatic. Anything that disturbs us is disturbing. I don't think any (laughs) of us liked it. It was an interference. And that's about as far as he would go.
3: Like he just said, they dealt with it.
2: And so that leads into some additional discussion about what was life like in the studio and how Paul was kind of raised not to be confrontational. This is the first time maybe I've ever heard Paul actually say that. We were encouraged to be good guys.
0: I value politeness, courtesy, and don't particularly
2: like confrontation
3: that was an interesting bit
2: we've always kind of thought that that's the way paul was and we've always kind of thought that that's the way how uh paul handled john lennon and here he is actually coming out saying yeah that's what i am of course that's the
3: way he was raised
2: so once again he repeats that story that i like how he refers to jim mack as being the one who raises trilby it's not a baller hat to say trilby
3: trilby Okay, so, as you can guess, today I'd like to talk to you about the Trilby hat, because the Trilby is one of the classic dress hats which has perhaps fared better than some of the others in its transition to the modern world. And that's, I think, because it's a little more understated than many of those more classic hats like the bowler uh, and the homburg and even the slightly uh, related cousin of the trilby the fedora hat
2: which leads to a slight diversion where muldoon tries to associate K Sarah sera with let it be
3: <laughs> that was a song that when i was a kid my mother always used to sing that song <laughs> What will be, will be. Que Sarah. Don't get all hung up on trying to determine what the future is going to be. You know, what will be, will be. Paul kind of
2: says, well, no, there's lots of songs like that. (laughs) I don't think it had any
3: direct influence. Right. That was versus other songs that he talked about. Hence, The Stones.
2: He goes on to say that, you know, something he's also said, I think he says in Anthology, that... (laughs) The Beatles were always writing or trying to write positive lyrics. Here he specifically says, we wouldn't do something like sympathy for the devil.
3: <laughs> yeah, that was somewhat comical to hear him say that. <laughs> But he's playing bass on you new song.
2: Bite my head off is not exactly a, uh, a, oh,
3: a positive well.
2: lyric, but oh well. He can rock out what he wants to. That's right. Then something which is in the book, but Paul talking about how the words Let It Be are actually from Shakespeare. He didn't know if that's where he got it from, but he yeah. had certainly memorized
3: the speech. Yeah, he said that was the answer to the question. To be or not to be.
2: Let it be, Horatio. That's yeah. what Shakespeare wrote. Hamlet, Act 5, Scene 2. You that look pale,
0: I'm at this chance. That I but mutes or audience to this act. Had I but time, as this fell, Sergeant Death is strict in his arrest. <laughs> oh, I could tell you.
3: But let it be. I'm going to add that to my bootleg version of Let It Be towards the end. (laughs) (laughs) Like the fade-off of I Am The Waris.
2: Paul quotes another line from Shakespeare. They don't point it out. Oh, that this too solid flesh shall melt. Which, well, he also does in Hard Day's Night. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Interesting there.
2: Oh, that this too,
0: too solid flesh would melt.
3: And resolve itself into a dew
0: Oh <sighs> that the everlasting had not fixed his cannon gates itself slaughter of oh God Oh that this tutu solid flesh
2: would melt <laughs> Oh, that this tutu solid flesh and and then he kind of talks about how he likes the different meanings of let it be that you know some people will take it as wish fulfillment i want a brand new car well you can't have it okay just let it be right right and then finally into the religious aspects of it mother mary is his mother unlike where he says i don't want father mccartney to be about me here it's like well it can be about me, and it cannot be about me. I like
3: that. And it definitely, uh, for him, they talk about how it did, again, it came to him in a dream, which we already heard that story many times before.
2: Yeah, although we don't quite know exactly what the chronology of that is, because as we now know from the White Album, Outtakes, it was
3: originally Brother Malcolm. And then it was a different key. It was in a different key with a different tune. And it, it really sounded a lot different
2: the beginnings of the lyrics were there. Yeah. Which then leads to Paul talking about all the religious interpretations of let it be and how
3: he doesn't mind them. It's different interpretations for different folks.
2: And he talks about his upbringing, his mother was Catholic and his father was Protestant and that his upbringing was really kind of neither. It was just a
3: generic Christian upbringing. But not really aggressive. I guess his father wasn't aggressive in either one of those, but he knew to do good, you know, there was somewhat religious overtone.
2: The whole Liverpool oratorio thing. Right. Know, God is good without a no, and devil is evil with a D. So right. he has another great line there, again, about their schooling, that they went to Protestant schools because as a nurse, Mary McCartney had gone around to all the schools, and she thought that the Protestant schools were better.
3: Well, there you go. More
2: academically sound. And it's like, well, my dad, being Protestant, would have agreed.
3: Got to do what so you got to do.
2: We end off with Paul saying that he takes Christian and Buddhist and Jewish ideals and that there are many great teachings in all the religions.
3: True. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, I like that.
2: Lonnie well, I mean, Ringo has said much the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Although uh, you had to... S- Pick a tradition. It's probably Jewish that he is the most schooled in tradition-wise because, well, Linda was Jewish and now Nancy is Jewish.
3: Oh, okay.
2: Paul is probably very used to sitting Seder
3: and doing all of the Jewish holiday sorts of things. And they're still having a wonderful Christmas time. As well. (laughs)
2: All right. So that was show three. Show four, which is my favorite of this first
3: batch. It's a combination of When Winter Comes and Mull of Kintyre. I found it interesting that they combined these two titles into one podcast.
2: Well, probably because there wasn't that much about the Mull of Kintyre. And uh, the interesting thing is when they were talking about it, the song hadn't been released yet. When Winter Comes. That was on McCartney 3. This was before 2020. Okay. So, I mean, you know, they were talking 2018, 2019, you know, maybe into 2020. But at that point, this was just one of the songs that they had given him as a possibility for the outtakes disc on Flaming Uh, Pie.
3: Okay.
1: When Winter Comes from McCartney 3, released in 2020, and Mull of Kintyre, released in 1978.
2: The two are combined because it's largely Paul talking about life in Scotland and life on the farm.
3: He talks quite a bit about that in this uh, episode.
2: It opens up. He talks a little bit about the farm in Scotland and, and how he, basically to avoid taxes, he was told he had to buy something. And the something that was suggested was uh, 183 acres out in Hyde Park, Scotland.
3: Yeah. Well, that was smart, you know. <laughs> Spend your money wisely.
2: As he says, I ended up taking the advice and buying it, reluctantly, but it was all falling <laughs> apart, so I kind of left it.
3: Yeah. Which gave him something to do later, right?
2: When Linda came in the picture, it was Linda who really fell for the Scottish Highlands.
3: Plenty of grazing land for horses. Horses and cows and sheep. And Linda loved horses.
2: One of his neighbors there on the farm, Ian McDougall, who had a very, very heavy Scottish accent. Right, and, and Paul <laughs> imitates him. It's like I could never understand him.
3: <laughs> That's funny.
0: Our next-door neighbor Ian McDougall, mm-hmm.
2: who was very old, Dower,
0: Scottish guy who spoke the Gallic, and was very old farmer. in really, a really, total stereotype. He admitted to me as he walked over the grounds that he had no knowledge of farming, although he wanted to keep it as a farm. I told him that it would be all right if he put a reliable man in, and he seemed to agree. He has seemed a very sensible sort of chap. He said, you'll be the new laird." <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> I, said, I could never understand him, but I've worked out the system of hanging on to the last word in a sentence. He said, are you are me, you're got sheep. <laughs> I go, aye! The sheep, fine. I only need a of clipping. Aye, the
2: clipping. Aye, correct. We dive back into 1968, 1969. Not only were the Beatles were falling apart, Apple was kind of in disarray,
3: to say the least.
2: Paul's way of getting away from that was, okay, Linda likes the farm, and we can go to Scotland and not have to deal with all these meetings.
3: It certainly was a getaway for him in many many ways.
2: That yeah. freedom was just great is what Paul
3: says. Yeah. And he learned a few things.
2: We certainly seen the footage from you know 7071 on the Scottish farm and rustic is being
3: generous. We all grew up in the major city and, and then having to buy some land somewhere and basically Live off the land to some degree. They could certainly go and buy food and essentials as needed. But he was doing things that farmers do, which he wasn't a farmer. He had to learn exactly how to do all that stuff. When they were in Scotland at the farm, they could be cut off because whatever situation, snow, flood or whatever. And so they would end up having to deal with what they had readily available to them
2: it allowed me to be a man
3: <laughs> which i like it's
2: like yeah it, huh, it was huh. very nice quite a difficult period it allowed me to see a different side of myself it was wonderful and paul has certainly developed that sort of outdoorsman
3: aspect to him over the years you know he had the time of his life and especially with his family well, that you know linda and then their heather and their new family that they were starting
2: linda martha and the baby yeah and heather right. so you know uh, and he, he tells a story about there wasn't even a bath yeah all they had was this big steel tub that they used uh, to clean the milking equipment
3: you <laughs> see that's like definitely living in scotland in what 1239
2: <laughs> again paul is just having the most wonderful time relating the story it was sensational
3: but he did take his acoustic guitar, right? He took a guitar with him, and of course, yeah.
2: one of the first things he would really get up and running there, civilization-wise, was his
3: studio. Right. Rude Studios. Gotta have that. I don't care where you're at. If you're a musician, you gotta have something to play. That's When I moved to California, when I did, I made sure I had room for my guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing else. Who cares about clothes. <laughs> Got to take my guitar with me.
0: Um, I would get tradesmen from the village who would put the roof on and then, then I'd paint it. I'd talk to them about how you paint the roof. It's all you need on the coat. So I'd get the system and then i paint it. We listened to tighten-up records, the two tighten-up volumes. So it was reggae mm-hmm. and freedom and, you know, Linda cooking, planting a little veg garden. I was just, it was just pretty amazing. It was, it was fabulous. And it was just what the both was wanted. I
3: thought that was, he, he was wanting to learn these basic things that he's, he never probably would have been faced with in Liverpool. He didn't have to. Obviously. He wanted to.
2: Linda was doing one thing, and it's like, well, what can I do? Well, I can do this. I think Paul certainly likes to pretend to be handy. He can be handy a little bit.
3: Yeah, He's not a tradesman, but... uh, well, he was milking the cows or whatever. I don't know if they had cows, but he was, what he was shearing the sheep. That is the
2: story which he mentions here was <laughs> yeah. that not only was he shearing the sheep, he was doing it with hand clippers. None of that electric razor stuff for him.
3: You're right. I say it. I
0: learned to shear the sheep with hand clippers. Mm-hmm. No one does these things. No, that's hard to do. It is, it is quite hard. I did about f- 14 to 20 in a day. And Duncan would do, like, a hundred. Yeah. But, you know, just getting the sheep on its back is is uh, cool. And that ended up as the cover of Ram. Right. But well, that was real cheering mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did crazy things. Like, Linda took a portrait of every one of our flock. Uh-huh. So we have this... It, let's make it into something one day. It's, it's huge. Uh-huh. It's just all... All these different Uh sheep. But we were doing stuff like that, you know, because uh, because we wanted to. It's genuine.
3: You know, this is how we were living. I'm glad Paul didn't nip his fingers. (laughs) 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 That would have been a different story, right? Gives us some insight into how the Ram cover came about. Get to look at that album differently now. He was really working. He just wasn't posing in those pictures he was doing things.
2: Now he talks about that he was actually kind of doing all the things that the lyrics in When Winter Comes are things that people had told him and things that he had learned about life on the farm.
3: You know, you listen to the lyrics I can imagine he just made a little task list and he sings the task lists essentially.
2: Yeah. Dig a drain, (laughs) fix the fence,
3: deal with the foxes, you know. Well, I'm going to write a song. I'm going to start now, get my list together of the things I'm going to do next week. It'll be out soon (laughs) and a a label near you. But no one cares.
1: (laughs) I really like this song. I I don't want to diminish it by saying it's a series of thumbnail
0: sketches. Mm, That's right. I think you're right. I mean, I don't think it diminishes it at all. I think um, it's, it's memories of actual, yes. actual things. And each yeah. one makes up a nice little scene. Fixing the fence, foxes, da-da-da. Next one, digging the trench, little, da planting trees. I must find the time to plant some trees in the meadow where the river flows. In time to come, they'll make good shade for some poor soul. In the meadow where the river flows, In time to come, they'll make good shade for some poor soul. That was a sort of rather wistful image that
2: I liked.
3: It it really is.
2: Which leads into another story of his about planting trees. That is a very nice little sort of poetic kind of story. These little trees that he planted are now like these
3: 30-foot behemoths. It reminds me of the time when I planted a palm tree too close to the house. (laughs) It was a little palm, but then it grew into be a big palm. (laughs) And we had to get someone to take it out because it was a problem with the foundation. It was too big and
2: it would would run into the foundation.
3: That's what I thought when I heard that.
2: (laughs) Paul was apparently planting them away from the house, but...
3: Yeah, I was smart.
2: (laughs) He's very proud of the fact that those trees survived and that they're still there.
3: Yeah. After all these years, it's a big tree now. Away from the house.
2: <laughs> That's when winter comes. Then he talks a little bit about Mull of Kintyre. Not as much as you might expect, considering how big a song that is.
3: Yeah. There were some insights a little bit about the punk rockers.
2: I like his line that he was in Scotland a lot, and he heard all these old Scottish songs. It's like, well, why aren't there any new Scottish songs? (laughs) Well, I'm going to write one. And then he admits the main reason he wanted to do it is there's going to be this new Scottish anthem, and it's going to be written by a (laughs) sasanach. That's the derogatory term the Scots use for folks from Britain.
3: Oh, okay. Okay. That's what a Sasanach is. That's the ironic part of it, right?
2: Exactly. And and then so Paul liked that.
3: It was definitely a big hit <laughs> there in the UK.
2: He talks about getting the pipers up there and getting them and listening to how they played and uh, how, unlike the way that we tend to think of bars and counting bars in music, it's talking about sophistication and this love of not
0: non-sophistication. Was if you're in an orchestral session, the musicians will count one, two, three two two three four three to the count in the bars but the, the Scottish pipe band doesn't it goes one two three four five six seven eight <laughs> nine ten eleven twelve 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28. <laughs>
3: Yeah, he's he's mentioned that before, because there's a big delay, you know? You had to blow air, and then you have to play, right? (laughs) Blow air and play. So how do you time that?
2: Well, apparently apparently they know how to do it. They know how to do it. That's why you count bars the way they
3: count bars. Uh, Crazy.
2: So it had gone on, it had been a big hit, and the story you were mentioning. Linda and I were in traffic in
0: London, in the West End somewhere, and... There was a big gang of punks who looked very aggressive. You know, the, aggress- they, the look was aggressive. No, sure. And they come sort of stomping through in those sort of bobber boots. And they come with a car, and we're kind of you know, crouching a little bit, trying to not get noticed, thinking, Jesus, what are they going to do? You know, they're going to think we're the enemy, kind of thing. And then they notice us, oi, oi, oi. And one of them comes to the car, so I. Wound down the window a little bit. He goes, oh, hey, yeah, poo, pull, pull. That mother you're <laughs> yeah. Oh, hallelujah.
3: He got the thumbs up from the punkers. You got to love that story. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty interesting because when that song came out here in the States, he didn't do a thing. Well, it was the B-side of girls' school here. Girl School, uh, a nice enough rocker, but... We were so used to albums and songs coming out, like every six months. This was in the 70s. And there was a huge delay between Tire and the previous release was December of 76, the live album. Tire came out November of 77. Not Hmm. Not 78, like they said in the podcast, did you hear that? You so, catch
2: that? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I caught that. <laughs>
3: so that not come out in '78. It came out in November of '77. And I just remember thinking, man, it's when's Paul going to release something? It's been a year and nothing. Well, you know, Linda <laughs> was pregnant, and well, we no one knew that back then.
2: Wasn't that announced at the very end of that world tour in like yeah. Australia?
3: It may have been, but
2: when they were working on uh, London Town.
3: Unless you were reading Rolling Stone magazine or okay, Cream maybe, yeah. magazine, you didn't get all this information.
2: The news leaked out late '76.
3: Oh yeah, I mean. the girl school was the hit, but that it, it it wasn't much of a hit. I don't. I yeah. think it made the charts what sixty four on the charts.
2: <laughs> it didn't go real high, and <laughs> it I mean it's high. still it's the biggest song in the rest of the world, and. Did nothing here. And there's another song I still haven't seen Paul live because Paul chose not to do it in Canada when I went to go see him expressly for that purpose.
3: Yeah, didn't but do it. But that's
2: okay. But he has so done it. Yeah, he, he used to do it live wherever he could get himself a pipe band.
3: He might do it in Mexico City and use accordions instead of bagpipes. <laughs> no. no, nah, I don't we, think so. <laughs> we might get Hope of Deliverance. If we get anything, we'll get yeah. Hope of Deliverance, which was a
2: big hit in Mexico. And South yeah. and Central America. But anyway, it ends with Paul retelling the Life magazine story and, you know, talking a little bit about just how remote their Scottish property actually is is a familiar story, but again, it's
3: nice to hear Paul tell it. Yeah, and get a lot of paparazzi out there.
2: We get an extended coda where Paul Muldoon talks about When Winter Comes and the fact that it came out on McCartney 3 and how it's a song which was perfect for the COVID era. You know, a a good two minutes from Paul Muldoon (laughs) closing out this episode.
3: Right, with more commercials.
2: The next episode, which we will start the next review show with is Penny Lane.
3: Oh, that'd be fun.
2: The episode closes. We learn, as we mentioned, that this was a co-production between iHeartMedia,
3: MPL, and Pushkin Industries. All of the above, folks. Give everyone credit where credit is due. That is
2: the first four episodes of the uh, McCartney podcast. They are all available with the ads, or like I say, if you want to pay seven bucks you can get the whole first season of 12 episodes from pushkin ad free so you're going to save yourself probably a good full hour on these first four by not having to listen to all the promos Uh, most of them are for other pushkin podcasts i don't blame them they are providing them free for those who cannot or do not want to pay for them and that's cool.
3: So they, you said a total of 12 episodes?
2: A total of 12 in season one is, that are available, like I say, right now. There will be 12 more coming out in the spring. Okay. If you pay the seven bucks, you can download – well, you can listen to or download, if you know how, all 12 right now.
3: So they have enough to go next couple of years,
2: it's twelve now. So ten more weeks. That'll go through the end of this year. If like you know February March, they release the next twelve, that'll then run through summer of next year. Okay, I'm happy with it, and, and I'm actually surprised that. How much of a real podcast it actually is.
3: Yeah, I'm very happy with it. I like all the little, despite the commercials, when I'm listening to it, driving. I I do a lot of driving for work, and it's pleasant. I like it. We look forward to reviewing the
2: next eight, or the next four, and then we'll do one more show to review the last four of season one, and not next week, but Early in November, just before we are off to Mexico City, and just as the book is coming out, look for at least you, myself, and John Stone to be joined by Ken Womack. Yay. As we can actually talk about the Mal Evans book, which you all will be getting November the
3: 14th. November the 14th. I love it. This is, I'm so excited about the book. I'm so excited to have Ken on the show. It's going to be really good.
2: And then Ken will be here in town in uh, December. We're Mm -hmm. trying to get a second visit from him when he's actually here in person, but we don't know if that's going to happen just yet.
3: Well, that'd be good if if it does, but regardless, it's going to be really, really uh, exciting to talk to him and get some more details about the book.
2: Well, we will all have read it by the time we are talking with you. (laughs) There you go. All right. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon.
3: Be safe, folks.
2: Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group and we can be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California.
1: The next episode... Under Milk Wood by Dylan Thomas. How listening to the radio taught young McCartney the art of creating sound images. Penny Lane. Next time on McCartney, A Life in Lyrics. Please.
0: i tell you one thing, there's sickness going on, and there's some good people doing work in hospitals. But they've got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going.
1: Turned up nice again.